If you have your Bibles right there uh, in your living room or wherever you may be, go ahead and open those with me, if you will, to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. That's where we are uh, today. We started a series, actually, a couple of Sundays ago going through the book of James. It's a short uh, book of Scripture in the New Testament, uh, just 108 verses long, five chapters in length. And uh, a lot of folks have called it the New Testament Proverbs. It is, it is a book that cuts to the chase. It is extremely applicable, and uh, there's not as much theology in the book of James as there is elsewhere in the New Testament, but the goal seems to be just to give us handles to what we know about God and about His Word so that we can begin to live it out. And as I said two weeks ago, this book gets in your face, and uh, it, it is a challenging, challenging book, but at the same time, it's incredibly encouraging. And I think this message today based on the verses we're going to look at, is one of those encouraging passages of Scripture. And so that's what we're going to cover, James chapter 1. So I hope you've got your place today as we look at a message entitled, Never Give Up. Never Give Up. You know, I know in these days it's been difficult for you, I'm sure, to think about a trial that you have experienced lately. And I say that facetiously because all of us have been in the same boat here lately, dealing with the effects of uh, COVID-19. We've all been experiencing, not just in our community, not just in our city or state or even nation, but around the world, we've all been facing the same bundle of challenges through this particular uh, virus. And so when you think about trials, easily the coronavirus probably comes to the very front of your mind. And the reason for that is because it has changed virtually every aspect of life. When you think about the effects of the coronavirus for virtually all of us, I mean, the effects are far-reaching. We're all in the same boat. Either you are trying to avoid it and you're wearing masks everywhere you go or uh, you're washing your hands uh, every, every minute, it seems, or, or you live with a bottle of sanitizer with you. You're trying to avoid it or you're uh, recovering from it or you're trying to battle against it, right? You've been maybe recently diagnosed and you're battling against that. And yet you're, all of us are dealing with this virus in some way, looking at it from some specific perspective or some specific angle. Uh, when you think about the implications of this virus as well, they're far-reaching. We've all been touched by it. Maybe for you, you've lost a job. Maybe your income has gone down. Maybe your hours have been cut back. Maybe you've been furloughed. Maybe your health has been affected or your emotional state has been affected. You may be much more anxious and much more fearful than you were just two, three months ago. And whenever you look at all of those details, the Bible would have a word for what we've experienced, and that word is the word trial. All of us face trials in our lives, every single one of us, and it's not just in these recent weeks through the coronavirus. We all face trials, and sometimes those trials are relational. There's strife between us and another person, maybe in our marriage or in our family or in the workplace. Uh, sometimes trials take the form of financial hardships where uh, we have to navigate difficult, changing terrain uh, in our finances at times. Those are trials that we have to deal with. Sometimes it's regarding our health. You know, trials come in a variety of different ways. And yet the Bible tells us that all of us are ultimately going to experience some. So what exactly is a trial? How would we define a trial? Well, there's a specific Greek word that's used in the New Testament to define trial. But really for us, I think the best way we can describe what a trial is, is basically at the heart of it, it is a time of testing or proving. A, a trial is a testing or a proving experience that comes in our lives. In the same way that you think of a trial in a court of law, there's a person in the midst of that trial who is trying to, uh, uh, trying to prove their case. And, and, and their case, the validity of it at least, is, is put on 
really to the test that's being proven based on the testimony and on the evidence that's presented. Well, in the same way, when you go through a trial in your life, whether it's physical or if it's emotional or, or even spiritual, when you go through a trial and when I go through a hardship or a trial in my life, at the same time, in the same way, it's, it's our character that is being tested. It's our character that's being proven. It's the depth of our faith. It's our maturity that's being tested. And it's our faith and our maturity that's ultimately being proven. And so what we find in Scripture is a very simple truth. And I hope you'll jot it down. We're going to look at a couple of these this morning. But the truth is this, that for every single one of us, trials that come in our life cannot be avoided. They can't be avoided. I mean, it, it's going to come. Some of you may be brand new believers. You've recently given your life to Jesus. Uh, uh, and, and maybe for you, the first hardship that you went through, you really began to wrestle because you had the mistaken idea in the back of your mind that, you know what, I've given my life to Christ. I thought life was supposed to get easier. I thought when I give, gave my life to Jesus, I would somehow be insulated from the hardships that all of those people who hate God are supposed to experience, right? And you came to the harsh conclusion and the harsh reality that trials cannot be avoided in our lives. There's no vaccine against trials in our lives. There's no shelter in place order that can be given where if we just shelter here, right, in the church or some special place or in prayer or in Bible study, if we just shelter in place there, then we're going to avoid trials. That doesn't exist. I mean, even in our own experience uh, here in our community, in our city, and I don't know about where you may be if you're living out of town somewhere, you probably have experienced a shelter in place just like we have that's designed to keep us uh, safe from contracting the virus. But on another level, the shelter in place has created all kinds of other trials that come with it, right? All kinds of stresses and adjustments that come. And, and what was designed to help to protect us has also created other issues in our lives. Trials cannot be avoided. There's no thing we can do. We can't pray harder, and we can't study the Bible more, and we can't put together a row of 10 Sundays in a row that if we have good attendance at church, that somehow we're going to ultimately you know, be trial-free in our lives. They cannot be avoided. They come to every single one of us, no matter the depth of your walk, no matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how hard you pray or how much of Scripture you know, trials are going to come, and they're going to come sometimes at the times that you least expect. So let me ask a question. When you go through your specific trials that come in life, what is your default? What is your go-to? What is it that you do to try to help you to cope with and to move through those trials that come in your life, especially the ones that are the most difficult? Maybe for some of you, when you think about your default mode in the midst of trial, maybe, maybe for you, your default is to lock down, right? You just shut down. You hide. You do kind of like when you were a little kid. You didn't want to hear what your parents were telling you. You just kind of cover your ears figuratively, and, and it's kind of a la, 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 I'm not listening, right? And, and you try to, 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 to just pretend like the trial's not there, and you shut down, you lock down, and, and uh, you hope that it's just going to go away. Maybe that's your default mode. Maybe for some of you, your default mode is to find a distraction, and that hardship sweeps into, sweeps into your life, and, and uh, that trial comes in, and you weren't expecting it, and it sort of throws your world for a loop, and you immediately begin to run to a distraction. Maybe that distraction is some form of entertainment. Maybe that distraction is food, or spending, or, uh, uh, or alcohol, or a drug, or a relationship. Maybe for you, that default mode, that distraction is something that you know is only going to create more trials down the road, but for you, it's sort of where you turn first. Maybe for others, your default mode when you face a trial is to, uh, is to blame, right? We live in a 
culture, man, if you're on social media, uh, you've realized, like I have, that uh, everybody's to blame for something, right? If there's something that goes south, if a trial comes, it's somebody's fault. Even with this virus, I mean, we're blaming other countries and people in leadership, and, and, uh, and everybody is getting blamed, it seems, except for sin. <laughs> you know, God created us not to have to deal with physical sickness. He created us in perfection, Genesis 1 and 2. And uh, this virus and every other trial that comes is a reminder that we live in a fallen world, and it's fallen because of our sin. But maybe for you, you like to blame whenever trials come, or you, or, or you go to the self-pity place. Or you go to the bitter place or the angry place. You know, we all have a default when we go through trials. We all have a place where we run to. And, and, and here's what James is going to do for us this morning. James is going to help us not only to see where to run when we face trials, but he's also going to see, help us to see what the attitude of our heart and our mind should be when we face trials. Because there is more going on beneath the surface than there is often on top of the surface where things sometimes can be so frightening. So who was James, the one who bears the name of this book that he wrote? James was the half-brother of Jesus. James was also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Probably, most would agree, the earliest Christian community that we read of in the New Testament. When the gospel came, uh, certainly when the events of the gospel unfolded in the city of Jerusalem with Jesus being crucified and then resurrecting again, they were those who came to Christ very quickly, 3,000 to be exact, that came to Jesus as a result of one sermon preached by one of his former disciples, Peter. And so a church would be birthed there. James, at some point, whether it's from the beginning stages or somewhere later, James would begin to pastor that church. And that church in Jerusalem would have hardships. James knew what it was like to face trials. But when he wrote this letter, he didn't write it to his church in Jerusalem where he pastored. He wrote it to a group of people that were scattered, believers scattered all over that part of the world. And what you find when you jump into James, I know we've covered already the first eight verses. I just want to go back to verse one again real quickly because we see a hint and a little clue why James, I believe, starts his letter dealing with the topic of trials. And so let's take a look here. Read with me in verse 1, James chapter 1. James gives his introduction and he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad greetings. And so we find out there who James is writing this letter to originally. Now he's writing it to us, to you and to me, but he's also writing it to an original audience. The original audience were those who were dispersed abroad. Well, what does that mean? Well, these were believers who were of a Jewish heritage, and yet they were what we would call today Messianic Jews. They had not laid aside their Jewish heritage. They were still Jew through and through, but they had placed their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. They had come into a relationship with God through a relationship with Jesus. We don't know why they were scattered specifically. Many of them may have been scattered because they had been exiled, right? Their forefathers had been exiled hundreds of years before. And in the same way, if you and your family were somehow drug out of the United States and you were planted in another you know, country somewhere on another continent uh, across the ocean, you know, chances are part of your, your, uh, you know, the generations to follow would take root there and would stay. And that's probably what happened here in the first century. There had been Jews that had been scattered due to exile in previous centuries, and they probably took root and stayed right where they were. 
But more than likely what's happening here is that the Jews, very possibly that James is writing to, are some of whom may have been scattered because of persecution. They were forced out of their homeland, so to speak. And because they were persecuted for their faith in intense fashion, in one of the most horrific trials that you can imagine, they were forced to leave their homeland and to scatter. We get a little bit of a clue of this in the book of Acts chapter 8. Take a look at what what we read of here in Acts, uh, the gospel writer Luke is writing in this particular book of scripture. And he says in chapter eight, verse one, he says, Saul, we'll know him later as Paul, was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, the first Christian martyr to death. And on that day, this is soon after the events of Jesus's resurrection, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. You go a little further in Acts chapter 11, take a look at what it says here. Speaking of that same event, the persecution and the martyrdom of Stephen, it says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. And so we get this picture when James writes his book of scripture, and it was the first one more than likely that we read of in the New Testament. When he wrote his book, He is writing to people, obviously, who have been scattered, Jewish believers, very possibly because of persecution. They knew what it was like to face trial. And in just the second verse of this letter, 108 verses in this letter, in verse number two, James is cutting to the chase. And it is obvious there is something going on here. There is something significant happening in the lives of these listeners, these readers, those who would, who would read and hear read this letter, and they are facing more than likely intense persecution, going through horrific trials in life. And James gives them encouragement. So let's catch up where we left off last Sunday. Let's begin in verse 9. James has already encouraged them. He's told them to count it joy when they face trials, right? Because God is maturing them. He's told them to ask God for wisdom, and God will give them wisdom if they just ask And now we pick up in verse nine. He says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. So so you may be like me. You may be thinking, all right, so where is James going with this? I thought he's talking about those going through hardship. Now he seems to be talking about wealth and possessions and money and rich people and poor people. And where is he going? How does this all tie in? Here's what I think. I think James may be speaking on two different levels. On one level, I think he's saying to those in the midst of trial, don't think that your wealth, if you're a rich man, don't think your wealth is going to somehow make this trial easier because it won't, right? Wealth and possessions are blessings from God if you happen to have them. They were never intended to be our safety net or our lifeline or our salvation, okay? So he's giving a warning to those who may be on the rich end of the spectrum going through trials. Hey, listen, your wealth isn't going to pull you through this. But I think James also may be saying, giving a little bit of commentary on possessions and wealth to begin with in general in our lives. I think one of the things he's teaching us here is that your status, my status for all of us, our status is determined spiritually, not mental or not materially. 
your status in life is not determined by what you own or what you possess or what you've acquired or, or what you've saved or, or what you've accomplished. Those things do not dictate nor determine your status. Your status is solely determined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what dictates. That's what determines. That's what puts into stone your status. You can have absolutely nothing. You may have lost uh, uh, so much through this particular trial that we've gone through. You may have in the course of your life just been one who's had to scrape and claw and you are where you are now simply because you've just had to work and work and work and still you don't have as much as the next guy it seems. Listen, those things don't matter at all because your status is not dictated by what you've accomplished or acquired or what you possess. It's not, a, it's not dictated by your wealth. It's dictated by where you stand spiritually in relation to the person of Jesus Christ. James is saying here, if we go back to verse 9, look at what he says here. He, he, he's, he's focusing on the brother in humble circumstances. He said, hey, listen, if you're, if you're on the humble end, right? I love that language. Uh, he says that, that you're to glory in your high position. What is he saying? Because they may be saying, James, man, I don't have anything. Everybody else has more than me. And you're telling me to humble or, or to glory in my, in, and ultimately in my high position. James would say, yes. Glory in that. Why? Because you are a child of the king. Man, you've got a relationship with the God of this universe who created you, who owns everything. You know him. You know him personally. You can go to him anytime you want and you can just speak his name and he's listening and he's bending in and he's leaning in to hear. And he's made promises to you and a covenant with you through your relationship with Jesus. Yes, he would say, though you may have little glory in your position as a child of God, through your relationship with Jesus. And then a warning to the rich. He doesn't, he doesn't say that being wealthy is a sin, but he says to the one who is wealthy, the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, keeping in mind that like flowering grass, he will pass away and all his stuff too. So James is painting a picture here. He says, listen, when you are going through trials, don't think for a moment that just cause you got stuff, don't think just because you live in a country of plenty, don't think that those things are going to be enough to pull you through. They're not. He says, what you glory in is in your position, your status, which has been set in place spiritually, not ultimately materially. Verse 11, he goes on a little bit further. Look at what he says here. He says, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and it withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. You've probably heard this a thousand times. I'll say it anyway. I've heard it a thousand times. The old saying goes that you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? That's the way it works. Done a lot of funerals in my day. You've been to a lot of funerals in your day, I'm sure. You've never witnessed a hearse pulling behind it the possessions of the one who's about to be buried. Those things do not last. It's interesting how James gives a little bit of a progression. I think this progression is a little bit of what we experience when we go through trials in our life. Sometimes you initially feel that scorching wind. You remember when everything began to crank up six or seven weeks ago with this virus and everything was changing so quickly? Do you remember what that felt like? And your daily routine was changing and your job was changing and you found out your finances were maybe going to be changing. Everything was changing. You were suddenly going to be teaching kids at home and, and uh, I mean, your whole life changed. It was like a scorching wind that boom, just knocked you down, came from nowhere. 
And that's often how trials happen. It's like that scorching wind. We didn't see it coming and it rocks us and it throws us off our kilter. It throws us for a, for, for a, for a loop. And then James says the next progression is then that it withers, right? He's speaking about the, the, the dying of grass and flowers, but what a beautiful imagery of what happens in our lives. We come to that place to where the, the scorching wind is over, the trial has taken root, and we just begin at times to feel ourselves just wither under the weight and under the pressure and under the change and under the stress. Maybe that's where you are right now in your trial. Maybe you're feeling, you're feeling that vitality, right? Just begin to drain because the trial is so hard. Maybe it's that trial in your marriage or that trial in another relationship that you have with a friend, or maybe it's a crisis that's come out of nowhere and you once first started with faith and I'm gonna trust, but now you're starting to wither just a bit. The next progression is that the flower falls off. You've come to the place now where maybe you've, you've seen your joy that you once had just evaporate, just dissipate into the thin air. Maybe because of that trial, you've become a different person than you used to be. That closeness to God, that intimacy with Christ that you had, it just seems like it's fallen away. It's non-existent. He says, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. Maybe, maybe you're this close to throwing in the towel in the midst of your trial. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you are this close to walking away. You know, it's there that James turns our attention to verse 12. It's a powerful close to this passage that we're looking at. He says, before you give up, before you throw in the towel and before you walk away, understand that blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life that's a reference to eternal life. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It doesn't mean we're going to heaven because we push through hard things. James is writing already to believers, but he reminds the believer, hey, in the midst of your trial, don't give up and don't lose heart and don't walk away because a time of blessing is coming that as you persevere and push through this trial, one day eternity is gonna begin in a brand new way and you're gonna receive the crown of your life, your eternal life that came when you trusted Jesus that day when you surrendered everything to him and it's gonna be beyond your wildest imagination. James reminds us, do not, no matter what, give up. If you've ever run a marathon, you're familiar with that point at about the 20-mile mark called the wall. It's that place where between 18 and 20 miles where you literally hit the wall physically. I mean, your, your energy, your resources are depleted emotionally, you're fatigued, you were ready just to say, you know what, I'm done. I've run further than I've ever run in my life at this point, let's just call it a day. Say I ran 20 miles and let's just walk away emotionally. You're ready to just throw in the towel. There's a point where ultimately uh, in, in the, the mental aspect of, of, your, uh, of, of your race that, that, that you're, you almost become confused right, because your resources are so incredibly depleted. And at that place, when you come to that wall, you have to make a crucial decision. Am I gonna quit or am I gonna push through? 
And what often happens is those who have someone running beside them, it may be their spouse that signed up for that race with them, or it may be a friend, it may be a training partner, it may be a fellow athlete if it's a high-level competition, it may be a random stranger who just signed up and came in for the, for the race. But when there's somebody beside them, it's often those people who finish. <laughs> it's often those people who persevere, who push through, and who cross the line. Man, let me just remind you, I don't know what trial you face, I don't know if it's all the stuff we've all faced together in these recent weeks. I don't know if it's something totally different, unrelated, but whatever ever trial you face, listen, it's not gonna be your position in life and it's not gonna be your possessions and your accomplishments and your acquisitions and it's not gonna be some degree framed on a wall. It's not gonna be any of those things that pull you through. It will be one and one only and that's the person of Jesus. And when you begin to understand and realize that you as a Christian do not run alone, that you are not in this all by yourself. And no matter whether you just felt the scorching heat or whether you've just begun to wither and wilt, or if you feel like you're at the very edge of just walking away, remember that there is a great reward one day that is associated with your faith in Christ. And he will walk with you if you just push through. And so what trial is it today that you can almost figuratively put into a, to a little box and hold it up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't carry this anymore. <laughs> and I give it to you. Would you carry it with me? And maybe even right where you sit, what trial is it in your life where you'd be willing to say, you know what, Lord, I can't do it alone, but I know that your strength is enough. And so I invite you, I invite you into my trial to walk with me and to even carry me because I know you love me. Hey, with heads bowed and eyes closed right where you sit, right there in your living room or wherever you may be on your device watching this service, let's just close our eyes and bow our head. And I want you to think for a moment right now that biggest trial that looms in your life. And as you think about that trial, I want you to remind yourself that you know what? This trial has not caught God off guard. God is using it to strengthen me and to mature me to the point to where I can count it joy because of the work he's going to do through it. I want you to remind yourself that God offers you wisdom. He promises wisdom if you just ask him. But as you invite him into the midst of that trial in your life, remember that it's only going to be your trust in Jesus that's gonna bring you through the other side, that there is a great reward on the other side of that finish line. And so do not give up, continue to persevere, continue to trust. And right where you sit right now, maybe even offer that trial to Jesus and say, Lord, would you carry this for me? If you've never given your life to Christ, I mean, the whole reason he came was for you to give your heart and your life to him. He's already paid for your sin on the cross. He's risen already from the dead. And he stands ready to take over your life if you just call out to him in faith and repentance. Laying down your sin, saying, Jesus, would you forgive and save even me? And he'll do it. God, we thank you today for books of the Bible, such as the book of James, that reminds us that we are to live every detail of every area of every life Lord, in wholehearted devotion to you. Sometimes hardship comes 
And Lord, it's not then that we need to doubt you or to run from you. Lord, it's then that we need to press in close and know that you're up to something bigger than we can see. And in the end, Lord, we're gonna have the reward of our faith that will far outweigh and outshine any difficulty we face on this earth. We thank you for that victory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.